When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Another week nearly done and dusted, but the bank holiday weeks always seem to go much quicker, uh, do they not? You're very welcome along to the programme. We've got John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text your WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And yesterday we had a huge reaction to the story that was breaking out of Longford. And this was to do with the traveller wedding that went ahead in a marquee and a lot of people were so annoyed about this event even though the Longford County Council had gone to the circuit court and got emergency order directing that this marquee being taken down and a lot of people yesterday were saying about the marquee, the owner of the marquee and why didn't the owner of the marquee simply take it down the day before when the council, when the Gardaí went to him and said remove it please because that would have stopped the gathering if the marquee was gone and most people were saying couldn't understand why he didn't do it and I have to say I was a bit surprised it was the first question that I had when I heard the previous evening that this event had gone ahead. I was saying, well, who do they rent the marquee from and why did the marquee owner allow the erection of the marquee? Well, it the, he has come out now and he's speaking, the owner of the marquee, and he said he's more than sorry about how the events unfolded. He's a guy by the name of Alan Horahoe. He's a 41-year-old and even though he was directed by the council with this emergency circuit court order directing him to take it down, he didn't uh, uh, take it down. He was verbally spoken to. He got written requests to take down the marquee from the Gardaí, but he, because it was in breach of coronavirus, but he didn't uh, remove it. The bridal party and the organisers behind the staging of this, what's been now deemed an illegal wedding, after party in County Lockford they've all been ordered to come to court but Mr Horahol who put up the marquee uh, said what happened this week he said was one of my more foolish moves now he explained why and what happened he said he was paid for the job last October and he said at that stage I thought that the health situation would have improved by May of this year. But he said as the event got closer, he said he did make contact with the couple. He said I tried to get them to postpone the event or or to have the event take place somewhere else. But he said they simply weren't agreeable to it. And he said I work in a filling station and I simply do not have the money to refund the families concerned. I am more the sorry about what has happened. He explained that he had erected the marquee on Monday morning. He was then contacted by Gardaí on the following evening, Tuesday evening. He said, I told them I would take it down if the families agreed, but the families wouldn't agree to him taking
taking down the marquee. He said they wouldn't change their minds. And he said if he had taken it down without the express permission of the family, then he said he would have to have refunded them the money. And he said, I would have owed them a four figure sum and I simply don't have the money. So he's saying it comes down to financial reasons. So Judge Johnson, Judge Keenan Johnson, this is the judge who was sitting at the circuit court who granted the emergency order to have it removed. He has now called back in the bride, the groom, the bride's parents, the groom's parents. He also wants this um, Alan Horaho, the marquee owner and he's also calling in the caterers because they had caterers for the, be- for the event. He's calling them all into a special court sitting on Monday. So this story certainly hasn't gone away. More to follow. We'll keep an eye on how that court case unfolds on Monday. But that's just an explanation from the marquee owner as to why he didn't remove it. Will that stand up in court? How will the judge view that? We're going to have to wait and see. 1850-333-103. And to any pregnant lady out there at the moment worried about COVID-19, the news out today is they reckon between 1,000 and 1,500 pregnant women who are eligible for a COVID vaccine, they're going to find out next week how they can access the jab. The Chief Clinical Officer, Colm Henry, said he's hopeful that the pathway for vaccinating pregnant women will be finalised next week and that, that they will be referred to vaccination centres. So again, some of the pregnant women were wondering would it be into their GP they will be going, but it is looking like it's through the vaccination centres. Uh, NIAC, of course, recently recommended vaccination for pregnant women they must be between 14 and 36 week gestation and they obviously need to have a chat with their GP first but if their GP thinks it's okay for them to go ahead and they're between 14 weeks and 36 weeks pregnant then they will be offered a vaccine. Colm Henry said they are working with the country's 19 maternity hospitals to identify the women and the hope was to have a pathway for them they'll be getting either the Pfizer or the Moderna jab in a vaccination centre and they reckon that'll be operational from next week. And uh, of course maternity units have also been told they should be relaxing the restrictions around partners accompanying pregnant women to scans and um, being present at the birth. That has been a big, big bugbear for so many pregnant women who, I mean, we've spoken with some of them who've been absolutely in tears uh, because their partners were not allowed into the, to the maternity hospital with them for the scans. Now they're only allowed in, I think at the moment when they're in active labour, when is active labour, then they've got to leave immediately afterwards and then they're not allowed, no visitors are allowed uh, into the hospital. So there is to be a relaxation on that but then I read on the front page of this is on the front page of the Irish Examiner today. Uh, they're saying hospitals are within their rights to continue to lock loved ones out of maternity appointments, despite the HSE writing to all of the healthcare facilities saying, look, restrictions need to be lifted for women attending maternity appointments and women going into labour. The Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, he's defending the COVID-19 maternity restrictions and he said hospitals do not have to lift the restrictions amid now growing confusion and anger at what's looking like to be ad hoc arrangements which have seen families split apart on what really are milestone moments. The HSE has admitted it doesn't actually know what visitor restrictions are in place in each of the country's maternity hospitals as the COVID measures have been left up to individual managers and it does vary and if you're on any social media sites where you will get groups of 
pregnant women or new mums talking about their experience, they all have different experience and, and it's down to, it's geographical, it's down to what maternity hospital they're actually going into. So that particular argument continues to uh, rumble on. On vaccinations though, the HSC now saying nearly one in three adults have received a first COVID-19 dose. We're doing well. We really are uh, doing well. And there's nearly a half a million are now fully protected, people who've received their uh, second jab. The plan is to vaccinate big number 220,000 to 240,000 people next week. And that is going to include, according to newspapers today, 100,000 of those in their 50s. And we know the over 50s have started registering since Tuesday of this week. The 59-year-olds were Tuesday, 58, 57. Where are we today? The 56-year-olds are today. But they reckon 100,000 over 50s will get a call uh, to go along for a vaccination next week. And actually only Yesterday, we had one of our listeners who registered um, Tuesday when the portal opened, obviously a 59-year-old, and uh, she contacted us yesterday to say happy days. She just got a text and she's getting her vaccination next Tuesday. So she registered last Tuesday and she's getting her uh, first jab next uh, Tuesday. And I can, reading in the papers today, the on the vaccination for the over 50s, the, the, the 100,000 that are going to be vaccinated next week, they're getting a Johnson & Johnson jab. That's according to Damien McCallion, who is the national lead on vaccination. So that means that the 100,000 over 50s, if you get a call and you're in the over 50 cohort to go to your vaccination centre next week, it's a Johnson & Johnson jab. So you won't be going along for your first jab. You'll be going along for your only jab because Johnson & Johnson is the one, it's the single uh, shot vaccine and within two weeks then you are deemed uh, fully vaccinated. And of course yesterday saw the first of the Johnson Johnson single shot vaccines being uh, used. There was a special HSE run clinic in Dublin it was for uh, homeless people but 100,000 of it is going, uh, the Johnson & Johnson is going to be used on the over 50s uh, next week. And actually I also saw Paul Reed was questioned yesterday. No, actually, it was Damien McCallion who was overseeing the vaccination rollout for the HSE. He was questioned about people in their 60s who have not yet received an appointment. And God knows we had a number of the over 60s yesterday contacting us, very frustrated. People saying there were two weeks, nearly three weeks in some cases where they'd registered, still didn't have have an appointment. And when he was asked about that yesterday, he said many more would be offered a jab next week. But he did accept that there were some geographical differences in supply. And certainly that geographical differences in supply even seems to be around the county of Cork because we were getting some areas where people were saying, yeah, no problem, we've all got our vaccinations. And North Cork in particular, John Paul reckoned, was the most of the calls were coming in from people trying to access the Mallow Mallow Vaccination Centre, whether that there's just a bigger number of people trying to get vaccinated at uh, Mallow or whether it's down to geographical differences in supply. They're not getting as many vaccines. I don't know. But certainly by calls coming Coming in yesterday, it did look like there seemed to be a bit of a hold up in the North Cork area. But anyway, he was asked about it yesterday and he said many would be offered a jab next week. So fingers crossed, particularly for those people who contacted us yesterday, fingers crossed that in maybe over the weekend you might get a text message or early next week. Because normally in it's between three and five days, I think, is the lead in to the vaccination. So, you know, you could get a text and in three days you're going in for your vaccination. So uh, fingers crossed. 
past. There is around 436,000 people in their 60s and in their 50s so far who have registered for the vaccine and the registration certainly is going at full whack. 28,000 people they reckon on average are signing up every day. So certainly people in their 50s and uh, 60s and I think it's it, if you opened it up to people in their 40s, 30s and 20s there are so many people in this country just desperate to get their vaccine and just wanting to get on with uh, life. And then there are some people who are critical of the vaccination centres and why we only have vaccination centres and we've heard from some of our listeners who would prefer to go to a GP or would prefer if say a community centre locally opened up where they could go and get their vaccine and some people just don't like the idea of travelling, particularly those who've been shielding and minding themselves and not going out uh, much. And I did mention last week, I wonder when our community pharmacists, when are they going to start rolling out the vaccines? Because all of us, we live close to a GP, but you equally live close to a a chemist shop, a, a pharmacist. Well, community pharmacists themselves are now calling on the HSC and saying, look, leave us, administer COVID-19 vaccines. And in particular, there's a big push from community pharmacists in rural areas because it's now accepted that it isn't just here in Cork. Rural areas, people in rural areas all over the country, some of them are actually struggling to get to the regional vaccination centres. And there's a guy by the name of Alton Malloy. He's a pharmacist up in County Mayo. And he was citing examples in his own county of Mayo. He says he's seen patients who are, are facing a 90 minute round trip because they have to go to the to Castle Bar. That's where the vaccination centre is for uh, Mayo. He says while he has two chemist shops. He's got one in Ballyhawness and one in a place called Ballandine and he said they could be local vaccination centres for people living in those areas and it would save, particularly some of the older people having to do a 90 minute round trip to go to uh, Castle Bar and the Irish Pharmacy Union said they've been given absolutely no indication from the HSE about when the community pharmacists would be brought on stream to help with the national rollout. And there are about 120,000 pharmacists who are effectively vaccination centres. These are people who are now fully trained. The pharmacists are saying, look, we're in the community, so there's less disruption for patients. Uh, but there seems to be a focus all on the mass vaccination centre. And I, I, I still don't understand it. Maybe when we get to the rollout of the Johnson & Johnson, would it be easier for the community pharmacists to be allowed to roll that one out? The fact that it's single dose and it only has to be kept in a uh, fridge. The Irish Pharmacy Union, they reckon their members have the capacity to administer at least 50,000 COVID-19 vaccines vaccines a week and they're saying that could play a vital role in reaching the national vaccination uh, targets and despite Minister Donnelly consistently stating that community pharmacists would be an integral part of the vaccine rollout pharmacists have yet to receive any indication from the HSE as to when that will commence yet they've all gone forward for the training the HSE have given them all the, the training and they're sitting there basically twiddling their thumbs saying 
we're ready to go. Let us go. And if they could be doing 50,000 vaccines a week, and I certainly can put my hand up and say I went to my pharmacist last year to get my flu jab and it was fantastic. Remember when the flu jabs, there was a bit of a query, would there be enough? And there wasn't enough flu jabs last year and all of the pharmacists opened up and they were doing it. I signed up there. We went in as a family, the three of us, and we all got our jabs and it was terrific and we were in and out in a couple of minutes. Then I remember chatting at that stage about the fact that pharmacists would be playing a role when it came to the COVID-19 rollout. So it's really, really frustrating for those pharmacists who took the time to get the training, get vaccinated themselves, to be ready to go. And as I say, there's about 1,200 of them they're, they're effectively little mini vaccination centres and they're in, you know, your town, your village, ready to go. They just need the vaccines and the go-ahead from the HSC. So we'll take watch that with keen interest to see uh, what will happen because they, I think they do have a major part to play in the national vaccination, in our vaccination targets and the rollout of the vaccines. Some of your thoughts uh, coming in on the Longford wedding and uh, the fact that the Gardaí were there and they couldn't stop it going ahead. Listen, said, maybe it's time to to redefine the role of Angarda Shiakona. They always seem to be reluctant to get involved in policing so many illegal occasions, such as that recent wedding in Longford and protest marches. During events like these, everybody attending should be filmed and then fined later. It would certainly help to discourage people from attending such events, says a texter. And then somebody else says, Tricia, what's the betting that the couple that got married in Longford won't be in court on Monday? Why? They'll be on their honeymoon in Spain. Oh, well, we'll wait and see what happens on uh, uh, Monday. Okay, and then just a couple on people registering for the vaccine. Hi, Patricia. It's 10 days now since I rang to register for my vaccine and I've heard nothing yet. I'm in the Kilkenny area, somebody right outside of our area. From what we can gather, it's about two weeks plus and then you'll start to get a date because we've had John Paul said flurry of calls this morning including Kathleen and Ballyhay to say I registered just over two weeks ago just after getting a text within the last 15 minutes I'll be receiving my vaccine on Sunday happy days uh, Kathleen uh, well done what we heard yesterday from people was if you have registered and you are waiting three weeks uh, three full weeks and you haven't heard anything then give the HSE uh, a call back because somebody said Patricia two questions you may or may not be able to clarify I tried to register on Tuesday last but the code wasn't coming to my phone I was forced to ring the HSE and they continued with my registration over the phone however I haven't received a date for an appointment so far I heard on your show that people were registering and getting their dates straight away and did any of the people who registered over the phone like me have they received a date I'm wondering is it the people who registered online do they get their appointments first I'm afraid I might have got lost in the system I may not have got because I haven't got my date uh, yet lucky for that listener who got her appointment for next Tuesday. No, you've registered. It's absolutely fine whether you register online or over the phone. It doesn't uh, make uh, a difference. There was one listener we thought had got, had registered and got a date straight away. When we checked that out, it wasn't. She just got confirmation to say that they would be contacting her. So she didn't actually get her appointment immediately. The quickest one we heard was the listener who registered on Tuesday and has an appointment and then yesterday heard Thursday and she's an appointment for next Tuesday. That was by far the, the, the fastest. But most people we're hearing from this morning are telling us that they registered Two, just about two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago, and suddenly now they are getting appointments. I think we're going to people are going to start getting a flurry of appointments 
over the next few days and into next week. So hang in there. The fact that you've registered over the phone, you're fine. You're registered. It doesn't make a difference whether you registered over the phone or whether you registered online because we're hearing from people who did both on the phone are online and will all get her appointments. So you will hang in there. You will get the appointment. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Now, Guardian Clonacilty are investigating an incident in which abusive youths caused a female cyclist to fall from her bicycle. To discuss what appears to be a new sinister craze, I'm joined by the cyclist Dina O'Donovan, owner of O'Donovan's Hotel in uh, Clannacilty. Good morning, Dina. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, uh, thank you. I actually saw you post about this online. I was really shocked. Just outline to listeners what happened to you. Well, I suppose it was a nice sunny Sunday, two weeks ago. And uh, there was um, some, a lot of cars coming back up from Inchidani after a nice afternoon down there. I was cycling along the road and various traffic passed by and suddenly this car passed by and the youth screamed something at me. I'm not sure what words were used, but the tone was aggressive. And um, they passed within an inch, two inches of my handlebars. I could feel the gush of wind. And I wobbled and wobbled and wobbled and I tried to stay on the road. But because the traffic was heavy, I was actually right in at the edge. And there's a bit of a fall off the road into the dick, into the dike. So I, I literally wobbled all the way into the dike and then bumbled along the stones and fell into a big bunch of nettles. Oh, oh. I, I, like, nothing happened, really. I wasn't injured or anything. Yeah. It's just a fright. I got a fright. And I was thinking afterwards, if it was somebody older and they had actually gone the other way out into the traffic, it, it, you know, these things can end badly, even if it's only a broken wrist or something or just sitting on the bonnet of a car or something. It, it, it can be quite frightening. And the fact that there was other traffic, obviously other people witnessed what happened. Well, the people who were in the car shouting out the abuse were obviously driving along behind me for a moment or two as oncoming traffic was passing by. Then when the road cleared, they passed out. And there was a car maybe 100 yards behind them. The man in that car said he witnessed, he thought they were going to hit me. They were so close to me. But there wasn't an awful lot at that particular moment. So I suppose they picked their moment. But but it was deliberately done to frighten you in the hope that you would fall off the bike. Well, I don't, maybe they didn't know I was going to fall off my bike. And if I was a bit more steady and had been a bit more aware, maybe I wouldn't have wobbled so much. But I just got a bit of a fright. Um it's just one of those things that look the teens were having a bit of a laugh but you know they kind of show a bit of maturity really when they're dealing with cars and traffic and that kind of thing Were you aware of a a similar incident that was reported on Liveline from County Wicklow something again quite similar except in in the in the County Wicklow incident the man was actually pushed off off the bike I mean is there a fear that this could become a little bit of a craze Well Somebody said to me yesterday, we shouldn't be highlighting these incidents at all because it gives ideas to people who are in the way of doing things like this. So maybe there's something in that. 
I know, I know, but the County Wicklow one was deliberately filmed which should be put up online so that the young people could get a bit of publicity for themselves. So they're yeah. doing it themselves anyway. They're publicising how great they are. Sure, aren't we great? But the danger is somebody could be seriously injured or killed. Yeah, the fact that there was a car behind coming, um, if I had gone to the right, I would have gone onto the road and been around in front of another car. But I opted to kind of head for the bits because I was unstable. You know, it all happened in, te- in a second, really, you know. Did you... I was half an hour wobbling around. I know, I know. But did you get the registration of the car? What what kind of a car was it? I, I didn't get the registration. I was busy in the nettles. But um, <laughs> the car behind me, the gentleman and his wife, they actually wrote down the number. Now, they gave me the number, but it's not, it, there's obviously a digit wrong in it or yeah. something because it, it, the guards followed up the numbers and it didn't come to anything. And if they have since put in a few other digits to try and find the right colour of the car and make of the car, they haven't told me anyway. Okay, okay. But they are investigating it. They are taking it seriously. They are, yeah. They, yeah. Well, I, I think um, they did say to me that something similar happened elsewhere around the county. So... You know, it's just something that needs... Uh, the, the teens just need so much of maturity. I mean, it, it, I think it's just when a couple of them get together in the car, they're, they're kind of having a good day. Oh, the bravado, the bravado. Bit. I, now, you're... People will know you. I mean, you're you're a great woman to get on your bike. Are you nervous about cycling now? No, I'm no, not. Good. No, I'm not. Good, no. that's good. I'd, I'd get annoyed rather than scared. Would you? <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah, pop if you got out of the car and Dina got you. <laughs> that'll be another, that'll be another story. Come here. How are you getting on at the, at the hotel? Have you, are you doing takeaway meals? How's it we're been going? Takeaway Monday to Friday, and then we do um, a couple of essential workers at night. So we're staying sane. We're staying kind of busy. Yeah. I have a, a cohort of a couple of staff coming in uh, two days a week, three days a week, and uh, we're managing away fine. And at the, the moment now we're on painting mode. Right. Getting ready for the for the for the open, and uh, wh- when do you hope to reopen? Well, I suppose what they said on the news was that the second of June was that we could keep uh, residents in the hotel yeah. non-essential that would not be essential workers, so we could get families and that. Now that that first week will be awkward because they can't go anywhere, they can't eat anywhere, so we have to look after them every single night and yeah. change the menu every night and give them something nice to eat. And, and you'll and do that. You'll, the you'll following do. week it'll be outdoors. Yeah, outdoors in the beer garden in the alleyway. You know, I hope the weather's good. Oh, please God, it will be. And are you taking bookings at this stage? Um, for accommodation, we're almost full. Oh, wow. But we're we're kind of here two hundred and fifty years in long term, so people would know of us. So we we still fairly fast. We're small. Yeah. A couple of phone calls and we're full, you know. But um, I think the country's going to be well on the move on the 2nd of June. I think it is as well. I mean, I know they're all saying August. I think it's even going to be before August. I think it's going to be uh, well on the move. Have you enjoyed, though, the relaxed pace of it all, Dina? Ah, uh, we have, yeah. We were getting more sleep. We're going to bed earlier because, to be fair to the essential workers, they're all up at work in the morning, 6 and 7 and 8. So they're all in bed by 9 o'clock. <laughs> You know, we, we, we've nobody swanning around the bar looking for a point at 11 o'clock. They've all got to bed. You can switch the lights off early. Yeah. Okay. All right, listen, you look after uh, yourself. Pleasure as always to talk to you and we look forward to seeing you in Clan when everything's back up and running. Uh, but thanks a million for joining us this morning. Thanks, 
Thanks, Patricia. God bless. Thank Mind you. yourself. Bye bye. That's the lovely Dino O'Donovan, owner of O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty. Can you, if you have young people in the house out and about thinking it's a bit of fun to have shout at somebody out a car window and give them a bit of a fright? It's not. It really is is not. I mean, luckily for Dino, all she did was got stung by nettles, which is a nasty enough thing uh, to happen. But you know, somebody could get seriously injured and even killed. So just mind, please be mindful of that. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Tomorrow, May 8th, is World Ovarian Cancer Day. A cancer which has no reliable screening test and yet every woman in the world is at risk from. One of the best known advocates for ovarian cancer is Anne Herdehy from Charleville who was diagnosed with the disease back in 2014 and I'm delighted to say Anne joins me. Good morning to you Anne. Good morning Patricia, how are you? I'm I'm very well, always a pleasure to have you on the programme. It's hard to believe it's 2014, seven years ago now. Seven years this September. It's incredible. It's incredible that it's... absolutely is. Absolutely. Hard to believe. Now, the symptoms of ovarian cancer can be confused with other less severe illnesses. Is that one of the reasons why so many diagnoses are delayed? Yes, exactly. I mean, um, at the onset, we'll say most people, the first symptom they might notice is um, change in bowel habits. They might have diarrhea or constipation, so they will go to their GP and many of them are diagnosed with IBS. So they come away because there's no, that's the only symptom they're going with. So automatically, of course, you're going to say they're going to be told IBS. And it says months go on then and more symptoms appear that they go back to their GP and they say, well, look, I have this, but I also... I'm gaining a lot of weight now, but I'm eating very little and I feel full quicker. I'm very tired. I have pain in my lower abdomen. All these symptoms start coming to the fore and then their GP will go further with investigation. And by that time, um, it has taken hold. Most early stage ovarian cancer is an incidental finding. And for you, did you have all of those symptoms and what were you putting it down to? I started, um, the first thing I noticed was um, constipation, severe constipation. And it just happened to be before my son, the day before my son's wedding. So I had to go to South Dock and it was put down to stress related to the wedding. Yeah. But it kind of continued off and on. So I went to a, a GP who wasn't my own GP because she was off and I was told it was IBS. And then I went back a few months later because I noticed I was putting on an awful lot of weight, bloating, and I wasn't eating much. You know, maybe one biscuit a day would fill me up completely. And I was putting putting it down to allergy of gluten and gluten intolerant and lactose intolerant. So I went to the GP and I said, look, this isn't me. I'm not eating, but look at the size of me. I look like I'm pregnant. And he said to me, had your mother a spare tire? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, she kind of big around the middle. And I said, yeah, she was actually. And he said, well, that's hereditary and that's what you have. 
so I went away. Oh, thinking, middle-aged oh, spread. Yeah, middle-aged spread, that's what he said. So I went away thinking, God, maybe he's right, maybe, you know, maybe yeah. these things. And then I went back to work because I was an SNA and I went back to school Governorton in September. And the girls were saying, we're going to knit your booties because I was so big at this stage. I was getting dizzy. I was breathless. I was exhausted. And I had pain in my lower abdomen, in my groin. I just was not feeling properly at all. So they said, look, we're either going to take you to the doctor or you'll have to go back. So my own GP came back, thank God. I walked in. She looked at me because she knew me. Mm. And she said, will you just bend down as if you're tying your lace? And I did. And she said, I'm j-. she didn't tell me what she thought at that stage, but she did a blood test called the CA125. And she gave me a thorough examination and she rang me two days later and she said, will you call in, please? And it took off from there. And, uh, I mean, were you aware of ovarian cancer? Were Never you sus- heard no. of it. No, because I was doing the cervical smear uh, every year. Yeah. And I thought that covered all gynecological problems. And uh, it didn't. That only covers your cervical cancer. And nothing else, yeah. And nothing else. And I was, you know, doing the mammograms and every other part of my body was being taken care of. I never heard of ovarian cancer, never heard of uterine cancer or fallopian cancer. All I had heard of was cervical cancer. And I thought I was away with the the bees, that there was nothing wrong there. And the next thing, this word ovarian cancer came up. I googled it and, you know, the prognosis for women that time was Not very, great. very, no, yeah. no, no. And is it common? It's the sixth most common uh, cancer in Ireland at the moment. Oh, about 418 women are diagnosed every year and about 200 odd pass away from it every year. My God, and yeah, and I, well, I, well, you've done so much work uh, to highlight uh, ovarian cancer. It's it's incredible the amount of publicity that you've you've given to it. Is there a genetic link to ovarian there cancer? There is. There is. It's been discovered now that many of the ovarian cancer uh, people living with ovarian cancer have a BRCA mutation, and it's either BRCA one or BRCA two, which gives you a higher risk of having breast, ovarian prostate or pancreatic cancer and it's hereditary and it can you can get the breast and ovarian gene from your paternal as well as your maternal side a lot of women thought it's passed down from your mother but we got our genes uh the the mutation passed down from my father's side of the family so i so at least now you you've new your family have an awareness of it only since I was diagnosed, as yeah. my sister said, you know, you saved my life because I was tested and I was positive. They were able to be tested as well. And she was positive. So all the, you know, the work was done with her. Unfortunately, my dad wasn't tested uh, about five. No, he was diagnosed about nine years ago with prostate cancer. And he had a huge family history of the BRCA related cancers. But he wasn't tested at the time. So we fell through the loop and now he's got another uh, BRCA-related cancer. Yeah, bless his heart, bless his yeah. heart. And your, how are you getting on? How is your treatment going? Well, oh, 
only for the new research that's ongoing for the last number of years. I think I was diagnosed at a good time because um, when I was diagnosed at the start and I was talking to women, I had met loads of women through Overcare and many of those now have passed. Very young women in their 30s, young families, you know, um, very sad. And um, the drug at that time was called Avastin and it was a maintenance drug. And that was the only drug available, you know, besides the chemo. This was a maintenance drug, but it didn't work for me and it didn't work for many. And I was put on chemo the second time. And then the third time, it was kind of a watch and wait. But this new drug came on the scene for BRCA patients and it was called uh, Leparza or Olaparib. And I was put on that as a trial. And I'm still on it. And it has maintained it to a level that it can be treated. Since I've started, I've had two major surgeries. And now in the last few weeks, I'm after getting a new tumour in the lung. So that might be able to be treated as, as well. Please God. Please God. And they've discovered that they can cross over treatments now to non-BRCA patients, which is benefiting them as well. Yeah, the medical science is, is yeah. incredible. But Anne, when you look back on the last uh, seven years and you look back on that, that early diagnosis and how heartbreaking that was, what has it taught you about you? What has it taught about, uh, let me see. It has taught me that I'm stronger than I ever thought I could be. Um, it has taught me that I should give my voice to things that I really believe in. Uh, it has taught me that how important my family is actually to me, you know. And I mean, I've spoken to a lot of women and the loneliness we feel at night about our families because we're actually grieving from the day we were diagnosed at the thought of losing our family. So you have to overcome all these things. And I think I've learned that to use as many research tools and network with as many people as I can. Before, I would have been very shy and quiet and felt uneducated enough to discuss these topics with a lot of professors, etc., etc. But now I'm, I'm not an expert at it, but the way I look at it is I'm a person that's gone through it, so I should know more things than a lot of uh, people know. Yeah, you're 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 living through it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and uh, your your family is uh, you've got an incredible family because I remember at the time one of the most heartbreaking uh, stories that you shared was, t- in particular, telling your children that yeah. you had that was that was very tough, wasn't it? Oh, it was enormous. Oh God, I I'll never forget that. And the 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 way the problem now with me is. When I was diagnosed, my eldest granddaughter was five. And she's, I'm going to cry. No, you're okay. She's nearly 12 now. And we've developed such a close relationship. She's developed her own character. We've become very close. As PJ said, she's a second nana. You know, when I'm gone, he said she'll be there to replace me. But we've developed a relationship now because she's at that age and she's gone into the teens and she's her own character and if I had passed away when she was five, she'd have had a bare memory of me, you know, and it would have been a lot easier for her. 
Whereas she's had you for the last seven years and please God she'll have you for many more years. And she was the little girl who wanted you there for her first Holy Communion. Yes. Yeah. And look look now she's heading into the teenage years. And what an inspirational (laughs) granny she has uh, for sure. Have you been vaccinated? I got my first vaccine last week in Parky Cueve. Great. So you're on the road. For, you're on the road for that. And yes. the other, as I mentioned at the start, tomorrow's World um, Vaccination or World uh, ov- Ovarian Cancer yeah. Day. And I know it's it's darkness into light and all of that tomorrow morning. Uh, tomorrow evening, you'd like people to light a candle. Tell me about that. Yes. Um, well, tomorrow, as you know, is World Ovarian Cancer Day. And before that, there's a webinar on in the morning from eleven o'clock, and Dr. Dervila Collins. Um, uh, consultant oncologist in CUH will be discussing ovarian cancer and breakthrough cancer research and Ovacare. It's been hosted by Breakthrough Cancer Research. It's a free webinar and you can register via Breakthrough Cancer Research. And I mean, the way I look at these webinars, you can sit down with your pyjamas and nobody can see you and have your cup of tea and it's brilliant. The hair can be all over the place and it's very... Um, They're great. They're they great. And very yeah. knowledgeable. And this year... The, for World of Ovarian Cancer Day, they're asking people to shine a light, just light a nightlight outside your door, uh, in your shop or whatever, just at night when it's dark, to shine a light on the silent killer, on the silence of ovarian cancer and to bring it, be, bring it more aware out there yeah. into the public. And hopefully, as the years go on, maybe... We won't even see 400 people, women, mothers, sisters, grandmothers being diagnosed every year. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. It would. It would. And how is your dad doing, Anne? He's um, doing okay. He's um, They've stopped all treatment now. Um, he's in great form, uh, pain-free. That's all we both can ask for, you know, and... Um, he can ring me up, did I suffer from this with that? And I can ring him up, you know. So it's kind of tit for that at the moment with our treatments, you know. But, um, yeah, he's a very positive person, very positive and um, good form. Uh, well, the apple didn't fall far from the tree with you then, did it? With the positivity? No, no. no. <laughs> he's hoping to be tested for the BRCA gene shortly now. Okay. Listen, you're you're an, an amazing woman. I know you're heading into an appointment, so we wish you luck with you. You're into your oncologist. We wish you luck with that. Uh, we'll keep in contact. You stay safe. You too. And uh, look after yourself. And love to PJ and all of the family. All right. Trisha. God bless. Take Bye-bye. care. Take care. Bye-bye. Isn't she incredible? That's the, the wonderful Anne Hurley from Charlotte. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, burying a loved one during these pandemic times has been so, so tough for so many families. But this week, one of the sweetest things happened for the family of Margaret McCarthy from Inna Shannon, who was a lifelong Daniel O'Donnell fan. And her daughter, Anne, joins me to outline more. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, Patricia. How now, are you? I'm very well. Firstly, condolences on the passing of, of your beautiful mother. Had she been un- Had she been unwell for long, Anne? No, 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 no. It was actually a very short illness. Um, she went into hospital um, on the 7th of April and, you know, things just escalated from there. And, you know, we kind of knew pretty much that it, it was bad news. But, you know, we, we thought we, we thought we'd have more time. You know, we, we thought there'd be a couple of months at least. But um, she just went very fast in the end. 
God help her. God yeah. help her. And that's so tough on those left behind, uh, yes. uh, particularly your dad. Your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. And your plan last Wednesday was to play a song, a yeah. Daniel O'Donnell track. Yeah. Yeah, beyond the rainbows end, we just wanted to play it at the graveside. Well, we, you know, and I, I just said to my brothers, just I was starting out the mass, and I just said, find a way of playing that song, you know, at at the graveside. I said, you know, just put the phone up to the microphone or do something like just play it on the phone or something. And um, so, yeah, so it, it was just amazing how it happened. And even when the undertaker Robert Gabriel came over to the microphone and he he said, you know, that most people would have a recording. And I think, oh, my God, there's a problem now with the recording and they won't be able to do it. And then when he said that, you know, but we actually have the man himself, Daniel, is, and I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, it, it was just amazing how it happened. Really and next, uh, Daniel was at the on the other end of the phone. Yeah. And he w- he sang the song live over the phone. Yeah. And the funny thing was, he didn't actually realise that that was the song that we were going to play. He oh. didn't know. And it, it's just that it's just a, such a poignant song. And it, it's about dying and, you know, those you leave behind. And it's about, you know, that, you know, I, I'm the kind of that, that the spirit of the person is in the mist and it's in the skies. And, you know, it's. It's really nice. It's a fabulous song. It really is. So when Robert Gabriel, the undertaker, stepped up to the microphone, to yeah. p- you just thought he was going to play the track. Yeah. And, and then I suppose as he was talking, then I actually thought that there was going to be a problem with, with the track. Yeah. But um, and then next thing, one of the other undertakers came over with the phone and, and Daniel was on the line and it just it was absolutely brilliant. It really was. And to find out why Daniel O'Donnell decided to sing it live, we have him on the other line. So stay there, Ran. And he's been listening to us. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning, Patricia, and good morning again. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning. Now, it Um, was just the sweetest, kindest thing to do. Outline how it came about, Daniel. Well, first of all... um, I've already I've spoken to Anne this morning, so I've already passed on my condolences to her. But yes. I, we got a message from a lady called Dolores a few years ago. We did some work with Hidden Hearn, and uh, Dolores works for the company, and she's a friend of Anne's sister, Catherine. And um, she sent a message just telling us that Margaret had passed away, and about how she enjoyed the music and what I you know, put a message on the condolences. So I, I looked up our IP and I found uh, the, you know, the, the death on our IP and I put up the, the the message of condolence. And, of course, they sent me a picture as well. And she, she was a lovely woman. I mean, she, she had come a number of times, but I think Anne would clarify that although she loved the music, she probably wasn't somebody that met me a load of times. There was a picture, a couple yeah. of pictures. And yeah. um, so I didn't know her very well, but mm-hmm. she just looked such a lovely person in the mm-hmm. pictures. And then, you know, um, I got the number for Catherine, who was Dolores' friend, and I called her. And um, then I knew the mass was on and I was sitting and I, I thought, I'm, I'm going to watch that uh, mass. Now. So I, I was watching the mass and I Anne's eulogy, she talked about how she liked the music and joked about how her father had to fight with the fact that I was in a marriage with them. <laughs> lovely. And the priest then talked about it. And, and I, I was sitting and I was thinking, maybe if I called the undertaker and asked him if I was able to sing when the service was over and the funeral was over, 
that maybe just at that point you could sing over the phone. I didn't know if it would work. I'd never done that before. So Robert answered the phone. You know, he was outside the church and he said, yeah, he would be able to do that. So that's how it came about. Beyond the Rainbow's End, there's a song that I wrote a number of years ago, actually a friend of mine from from Cork had passed away, somebody who came to see us all the time, he and his wife, and uh, they were from Mallow, just outside Mallow, and I sang it at, at his funeral. So I was sitting thinking, and I was toying with what would I sing, I was thinking about a hymn, and I thought, I want to sing Beyond the Rainbow's End. It was appropriate. Never there's just, there's so many coincidences in this story because we were speaking with Robert Gabriel when we got, when we heard about the story, we rang Robert this morning and I've lost, is that Daniel I've lost? Are you still with me, Anne? I am. I yeah, am, we've yeah. lost Daniel. We'll get to, we'll get Daniel back up. There's so many coincidences on this story, um, Anne, because when we rang Robert, yeah. to actually get your number um, he, he started explaining to us what had happened and he said I normally never answer my phone yeah. during a funeral and he said so, and obviously he didn't realise it was Daniel O'Donnell and he said something made him answer the phone he still doesn't know what made him answer uh, the phone uh, Daniel is back with us you're back yeah, with us yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. explaining how when I spoke with Robert the undertaker this morning he was explaining to me he never answers the phone while he's in the middle of a funeral ceremony and he said for some reason he just said no I think I need to answer this and lo and behold it was you and then yeah. to hear you you did not know that Anne's family, that Margaret's family were planning on playing a song at the graveyard and you couldn't have known the song that they had, they had picked. It's, no. it's an incredible yeah. co- series of coincidences, isn't it? Well, you know, to be honest, I kind of didn't think I would get... Uh, the, I phoned the mobile. Well, now, I'm kind of persistent if I get something into my head. I probably would <laughs> phone the landline to Which? hoping that I would get somebody maybe in the office of the funeral home that they may contact the undertaker on site, you know, but he just answered. I was amazed that he answered so quickly, but I suppose he was outside. He wasn't inside the church with the, the current guidelines, you know, of people and, and all yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So I was very grateful to him. And I suppose for, for Margaret's family, I just, you know, my own mother died a number of years ago. And on the day, you're just kind of so... Um, you don't know what to do to give them the kind of send-off you want them to have. You want it just to be the best it could ever be because it's the last thing that you will do for them and with them. And, you know, they'll always be with you, I suppose, in spirit. But it's the last thing that that you, you do with, with the, your loved one. And I suppose I was thinking if she liked the music that much and maybe it would give a wee lift to the family. I mean, it wasn't premeditated or anything, just on the spur of the moment. You're a good guy. You're a good guy. And Anne, what did it mean to the family? Oh, it, it was fantastic. It, it really was. It, it was just so uplifting, you know, at, at just at a time when my mother had just gone into the ground, the prayers were finished. We were just kind of, you know, we were just numb. We were in limbo. And, and then for Daniel to come on the phone, it, it really was so emotional. And it was fantastic. And we're forever grateful to him. And we're also forever fans now. We're his biggest fans. <laughs> and what would, it, what would it have been to your mother? Oh, she, she'd have been amazed. Yeah. She would. Oh, she'd have been delighted. Absolutely. She, I, think, you know. I think she had a hand in it. 
I think she did too. <laughs> I Absolutely. Really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think she was definitely there looking down on all of us and and smiling yeah. and and, oh, and yeah. saying to Jimmy, there you go. The man yeah. who was always in yeah. our marriage, he's still yeah. here even yeah. at the funeral. Yeah. Even yeah. at but the I funeral. Will, I will tell you, Patricia, I tell you, Jimmy got the last line because I the the undertaker kindly they had videoed the, the thing without you know, on the phone and he sent it on to me, Jimmy, when I had finished and finished speaking to Jim, Jimmy, he stepped up to the mic and he says, I'm not going to leave it all, Daniel. Let's let Daniel have his own way for everything, you know. So he sang. And it was a lovely, I suppose, you know, maybe it just brought a smile to a very sad occasion. It doesn't take away anything of the grief that they have. And it's that ongoing and the loss that they have is incredible. But I suppose for them a few minutes, it and, and Anne was saying, you know, after that point of putting your mother into the ground, it's an awful feeling. Mm-hmm. It's just an awful feeling because I know it's what we do and it's, it's the way things are, but it's just awful at that time. And then you have to walk away and leave her there, you know. But I suppose maybe it made a wee bit of a unexpected thing and maybe people talking about it just sort of, it doesn't take it away, but it, 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 diverts, it diverts your your thoughts or something. Yeah, it yeah. makes it a little bit easier. That's what a it does. It just easier. makes it uh, a little bit easier. It's it's a gorgeous. It's just such a sweet story because, as I said at the introduction, bereavements during these pandemic times and funerals are just so difficult uh, for so for so many so we couldn't let the moment pass without uh, talking about it. Daniel, it's a pleasure as always uh, to have you Thank on, you, on the programme and once again our deepest deepest sympathies uh, to you, the, all of your family and we of course are going to play the song that we were talking Brilliant. about this is uh, Daniel and Beyond uh, Thank the you Rainbow. Daniel. Thank, Thank you Patricia. both. Um, bye bye. Bye bye. I'm thinking that your mother's going to have the Opera House full of McCarthy's the next time we're there. <laughs> Thank bye you. Bye. Thanks, Daniel. God Thank bless. Bye bye. Isn't that gorgeous? That's Daniel O'Donnell beyond the rainbow's end and that's the song that he performed at the funeral of the late uh, Margaret McCarthy and we remember Margaret uh, today but in particular sending on our deepest, deepest sympathies to all of her family and thanks to her daughter um, Anne uh, for joining us and once again our thanks to uh, Daniel. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Office administrator slash receptionist is required. It's for O'Callaghan Motors in Canturk. Cleaners are wanted for a holiday home and an Airbnb changeovers. It's in the Sheepshead Peninsula in Bantry. While Newmarket Motors, they're looking for a service advisor. You do need to have computer literacy and good technical understanding of vehicles. In Cronin's Hardware, they're in Ballylickey. They've got a vacancy for an experienced Arctic driver for the West Cork area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And Mary by text saying, oh Patricia, that song by Daniel O'Donnell is so, so moving. Daniel has gone up in my estimation. He was so kind to that grieving family. Yeah, I just, yeah. That's why we said we'd talk about it today. Just I was on the 
sweetest things uh, that he did and, and the way it all came about, the coincidence and the way the particular, the song and Robert answering the phone, it was just unreal. It was destined to happen for sure and uh, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced Margaret had a hand in it in making sure that Daniel, her beloved Daniel, would sing at her uh, funeral. So once again, our thanks to Daniel O'Donnell for joining us this morning. Now, known as one of the most dangerous junctions in the country, Bally McCork Junction on the N72 is finally getting the improvements works it so desperately needs. Local Councillor Bernard Moynihan joins me with the latest on this uh, story. Good morning to you, Bernard. We've been talking about this particular junction for so many years at this stage. Is everyone now agreed that a roundabout is the best solution? Absolutely. This morning, was a, you know, there's lots of days you'd wonder what you're doing, but today is an uplifting day uh, for to be a member of Car County Council and to be able to report, I suppose, to the, the, the road users and your listeners who use this junction. It's an incredibly busy junction. Just, I suppose, to, I suppose summarise what we were told this morning, that this junction has about 5,500 5, vehicles go through it per day. About 5 to 10% of those are heavy, ve- heavy ve- goods vehicles. It's agreed it's going to be a roundabout. It's agreed it's going to be financed by Transport Infrastructure Ireland. And the, I suppose it's going now in a submission toward bo- on board Planola. As, as well as that, uh, tender documents are being prepared. We're hoping to have a decision back from on board Planola by the end of 2021. It looks, they're talking here, and I'm just writing down what we were told this morning. I took detailed notes. Uh, quarter 1, 2022, construction to begin, and quarter 4, 2022, uh, job to be completed. Well, that's good. And the, the fact that TII will, is providing the funding, that's important because the council would never have the money for a job like this. Well, no, it's, the, it's, a, national, it's a national road. Like it's, it, it, This road, um, it's the, it, the in 72 the people who actually who actually manage the, 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 a road like that, a, a priority road like that, are the National Roads Authority. So they have agreed back the way to finance this. Now, there was a lot of conflicts planning here because you have two rivers, you have two bridges. Uh, the Blackwater is a very important river. It's a protected river. But I suppose the most important people who played a huge role in, in getting this to where we are today uh, Patricia is both yourself, uh, you know, in, in C103 have been highlighting this matter. 4,500 people in the Cantork band here, that general area, signed a submission uh, uh, supporting this proposal. And the people in the area have constantly been putting pressure on us as public representatives to get this matter resolved. And, and, and rightly so, because it's such a dangerous junction, Bernard. Well, absolutely. And I, I mean, the crucial point here, and I wrote down at the, you know, at the end of my notes here, is what actually here, what this junction hopefully will do will save lives yeah. because yeah. it's because it is, you know, there was a a picture put up this morning of a truck, a mill truck, which overturned at Ballymacquirk, and the, 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 no, crucially nobody was fatally injured at that junction, but certainly uh, Patricia that this. This morning is a great news story. It's a great news story. And I mean, I am, a lot of my people would say to me, look, we only believe this when we'll see uh, boots on the ground digging out the roundabout. But I think we're a long, long way towards that at today. Like. OK, now you say uh, the completion project gets lodged with on board Panola. You don't expect any hold-ups there, do you? Well, I'm, I'm, we're allowing for the regular hold-ups of six months. 
Yeah, but no more than that. No, 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 no more than that. And has there been remedial works carried out by both council uh, and... Yeah, there's yeah. been a lot of work cutting back hedges and signage and stuff like that. But that's only all a temporary measure until the roundabout is put in. It's going to, there's going to have to be about 17 or 18 acres of land acquired to do this work. I asked the question as well this morning, like, when the work is ongoing, how are we going to manage? There's a huge volume of traffic going through there. I stopped there the other night and I just watched it from the bridge. The traffic going through Bannamacrack is crazy. It's, it's a constant flow of traffic. Mm. And it's and 6 o'clock in the evening, you know, you've got a huge amount of heavy goods vehicles. You've got a lot of agricultural equipment, lorries. You've got Dukan uh, right there on it and they're trying to run a business. You have people lorries. commuting to and from work? Absolutely. And I mean, you people, I know people, I even hear uh, Biddy Keane there on the Today Show saying he goes down to Bannamacrack on the way down from the down to Listowel. So, I mean, there's loads of people travelling through Ballamacrack, uh, you know, and it's the one issue. Any time, you know, that I talk on Ballamacrack, the amount of feedback from people is incredible and the amount of people who use Ballamacrack is incredible. It's a kind of a crucial juncture between, I suppose, uh, Duhalo and Cork City. Yeah, yeah. So, people can expect there will be delays, Bernard, when the work Absolutely, starts. Absolutely, and I mean, yeah. I want to, I, I have, Patricia, it's a very valid question and I asked that question this morning and the answer I was given was, I wrote it down here, temporary traffic management, remove as much traffic as possible, uh, they're going to have to, there's going to be diversions, there's going to be all that business while the junction is being constructed. That's, yeah. un- that's unavoidable. But, you know, I think it's worth it to put up with it for four or five months. Uh, it, uh, they're hoping to do it during the summer months of 2022, which is the best time to carry out this work. But it's certainly, Patricia, a fantastic story this morning. OK, and well done. For well, well, well done. And I know you've, you've fought, I know a lot of the local TDs and uh, councillors have fought, but you've been at the forefront of, of this one. So, so uh, well done. And just while we have you on the line, Bernard, just on a, a different uh, topic, the lack of affordable houses. I mean, this has become a nationwide issue and there's so much in the papers again today about cuckoo funds, particularly up in Dublin, buying up in entire estates and in entire blocks of apartments. It's it's really shameful what's going on there but hopefully that will be sorted out. But in your own area of uh, Duhallow, the lack of affordable houses, Bernard, is, is also an issue. This isn't just an issue for cities. Well, Patricia, this is exactly, like, first of all, you know, I just, you know, I find all this stuff Dublin-centred, uh, you know, everything is about Dublin, but like, there are people living in Duhallow who need houses as well. I've a huge. We had we had recently two houses in Kilbrain, which Cork County Council are constructing. We have sixty four applicants looking for those two houses. We're giving out fourteen houses at the moment in Boherbuie. There's a, another huge list of applicants looking for those houses. The houses that were given out there in Cantork, in Tanlina, in up by Bluepool, the older part of Cantork, beautiful houses. Again, there's huge demand for them, and there's no. It is a, you know in places like. Rock Chapel, Dr. Gree, Betty Desmond, all those places. There was houses for sale there for years and they're being sold very quickly. A house came up recently in Western Duhalla, a sign went up on it and it was sold within a month, sale agreed up on it. So what I'm trying to say, as well as that, you have people moving home from college or maybe who are working in Dublin or working abroad and they now can work from home if, mm-hmm. if the broadband is good enough. And like they're living with their folks and stuff. 
And like that's nothing, you know, they want to move on, they want to get their own space. They wanted to, so, you know, I'm looking at the moment in the Kishkane Borby area, there's nine new houses for planning. There's nine new houses starting. The other thing that's out there, Patricia, and I think it's important for your listeners, there's no block layers out there. There's no plasterers out there. We have a huge shortage now. We're facing a shortage of skilled tradespeople. Because if we're going to build all these houses, we need highly skilled, and we've got super talented builders and builders. How do we get around that? Well, How do we know. encourage young people to go into the trades? Well, I mean, or is it a case of trying to, when they do qualify, keeping them here? Well, absolutely, and keeping them here and make it a viable, make it viable for them. We're going to have to. I, I think we have. I think we missed the boat a bit. You know, all this emphasis on college education and all, you know, and doing college degrees, which which may be of no value to you or some value to you, you know, at the moment, if you're trying to, you know, I've I've had people ring me and say, look, we can't get anyone to build a house because the builders can't get block layers. And And is there a danger that we have a generation of people who will never own their own houses, who's going to be trapped in renting for life? That's delaying the building of houses in Borbury. That's delaying the 2530 yeah. houses in Borbury. Yeah, it's shocking. So, it's, so it's like we need, so there's a whole, you know, I, I mean, and I, I, I'm only talking for our own Duhalla area, but there's no question, uh, Patricia, and there's no question, any public rep will tell you, any person, any auctioneer, you, you ring Liam Murphy, a very reputable, decent man in, in Cantork, and he, there's no point ringing him, he hasn't got the houses. Mm. OK, I'm going to see a lot of people picking up on this. Uh, one is to say, Patricia, I have huge, huge sympathy, particularly for first-time house buyers trying to get a step onto the property ladder. It's impossible at the moment, even if you can locate a house that you can afford. OK, uh, Bernard, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. No problem, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. North Cork, uh, Councillor Bernard Moynihan. 1850 333 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 Still getting in lovely comments about Daniel O'Donnell. One listener says, Hi Patricia, what a beautiful song by Daniel O'Donnell. It made me cry. I listened to the words while looking at a picture of my mother and father who both passed away. Great kindness shown by uh, Daniel Good 
on him. Uh, thank you for that. That's what's up to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, because we're all wearing face masks either at work or out in public, it's hard to see anybody smiling anymore. Well, the Clonakilty Wellness Committee wants to change that and they're inviting people to Smile A While event. And Adrian Adams from the group uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Adrian. Good morning. And you're, How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, you're planning to stage this Smile A While event on Monday week, the 17th of May, which is a happy day anyway, because it's the day when all of the shops will be opened and That's people right. will be getting out yeah. and about. So just yeah. outline to people what you want them to do on that day. Well, what we want people to do is that if you go on the Clannacilty Wellness Facebook page, you'll see a Zoom link. And we want people to Zoom in and just come on the Zoom and smile. And we want you to smile for about maybe five minutes. And we're trying to get as many people as possible to Zoom in. Because once you see people's faces and once we see each other on Zoom, you know, we connect. Mm. And it just just to smile because, you know, it's just been such a difficult couple of years. So you don't want people talking? No, smile. Just smile. smile. (laughs) And as you know, with Zoom, we'll always have the few that won't get on in time. Yeah. so, and there'll be t- problems with connecting and the whole lot. So that's why we're giving the 10 minutes to give people a chance to get on and just smile. And smiling is, you know, it, 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 it's infectious. Yeah, it is because as soon as you hear, as soon as somebody else smiles, you automatically smile back. You do. You do. And, you know, if, if, even if you remember before we had no, before we didn't wear face masks, you always noticed certain people that you'd bump into and they were always smiley and happy and you'd love to meet them. Because they always have a smile on their face. So we just want people to smile because, you know, it's really important for our mental health to be able to smile and laugh. Yeah, and it's one of the things, and I know we all understand and we all know why we're wearing face masks, but it's one of the things, and I've particularly noticed it when, you know, when you're in a supermarket and you'll see a little toddler sitting up in the trolley with the mother or father and you automatically smile at the baby. And of course, I've started noticing the children are just staring and I realise they can't even see them trying to smile at them to get them to interact. And it's, it's, you you think of that little generation that are going to not even realise that people don't wear face masks and people are smiling at them. And it's like we're losing because of it and I, as I say I know why we have to wear the masks those social interactions were a simple thing of just smiling at somebody Absolutely it's so important it is and you'll always remember the person don't you that smiles You do absolutely so, absolutely you, you do know. and so um, you and you've another event called A, a Mile a Day what's that one yes, about? MAD it's called MAD, okay. and uh, it's, it's, it's actually a UK event and again is the same person Jen Geneve O'Neill, who's with the West Cork Partnership, she came up with that idea as well. She connected with the group in UK. And we're asking people to just go out and walk, run, or swim a mile a day and, and put it, take a photograph of yourself and put it up on the Clannacilty Wellness uh, Facebook page. So it's a mile a day, mad. And, you know, the, the Wellness Festival has been up and running for the last seven years. This is our eighth year and it was really growing. Like, we had a month of events in 2019, and everything is free. And the whole idea around this whole festival is about, you know, just positive well-being in our communities and getting communities to kind of link in. Because it's, it's, it's communities that keep us well. Mm. 
you know, it's connection that keeps us well, relationships keep us well. And the whole idea around this is really that events are run free. This is what we used to do. And people, anybody could join them. And then, yeah, and your last festival was in 2019 because it's, it's a right. festival you hold in May. You yeah. obviously couldn't hold it last year because we no. were in lockdown. Can't that's do it right. again this year. Just remind listeners, though, of some of the things you normally do as part of the Wellness Festival. Oh, my, we do. Well, well we do a, a huge event. We do a big cinema night um, where we rent out the cinema in Clonakilty in the evening and we always run a musical. Um, we had the Rocky Horror Show there in 2018. It was fantastic. It, it, people dressed up. Yeah. You know, because it's a cult movie yeah. and it's it's the only event that actually we charge because we have to pay for the cinema we run yoga we run meditation we run we run talks that are free on mental well-being we also ask some of the staff from the mental health services to get involved because you know just to see the face behind the person in the mental health service to give talk talks we connect up with the physiotherapist they run there's a lovely lady there she ran lovely um, workshops for people that are at an older age you know 50 plus like myself um, we do walking. We have a fabulous walking group, and we used to go down to the um, Trim League, you know, to the top top of the rock. Yeah. And uh, your man Ross there was fantastic, and we we just encouraged people to come along, and everything was free. And guess what? Please God, this time next year, I'll have you back on the program where we will be previewing the program oh, of events for the Wellness that. Festival for for twenty twenty two. But just tell me how the committee yeah. came about. Are you about you're you're up and running a good few years at this stage? Are, well, this will be our eighth year. How it began was um, there was a guy, Vinnie Foran, in in, in uh, Clonakilty who who came up with the idea. And I, I worked with the mental health services and we got together and he said one day, he said, why don't, he, I said, why don't we run a day of well-being? And he said, why don't we run a week? And I, I got a bit of a shock. I said, how will we run a week? But that's how it started. And then the whole idea around the committee is to get people, a mixture of people from the community, people that have used the mental health services that are in recovery and uh, people that have an interest in mental well-being. And the whole idea is to have a mixed committee and to bring all these ideas together and work closely with the community. And we did one fundraiser a year, one fundraiser. We did it, the Mad Hatter's Tea Coffee morning in the parish centre in Clon. And that money, we probably raised about €1,000. We used that money to run the event. So we never looked for money, you know, like... I know, or anything. I know. We had this belief that if communities want, community, you know, you want, if the community wants something in their community, they have to some way contribute to it. And mm. it worked. And the money, we had very little money in account. We used up that money and that was used to just rent rooms or pay mileage for someone that was going to travel and run a workshop for us. That's all we used it for. It's incredible. And and I do think, and and I'm sure you'd agree, um, Adrienne, with the pandemic, you know, wellness, uh, mental health, it's, I mean, it's just, just so many people suffering out there who are desperately needing help now and will need help when we come out of this. Oh, listen, we, we have no idea. We're only tipping the iceberg. People like you know, people that suffer from anxiety and depression, you know, cocooning is OK for a while. Cause it's, it's, but after a while, it, it, it's not good for you to be cocooning all the time. You need to be in relationships. It's so important to be connecting with people. But the good thing that came out of this pandemic, I think, within our own services is the fact that we're using, we're using um, Zoom, we're using Attend Anywhere. We're using Microsoft Teams. So we're connecting more to people like that won't come to clinics. Yeah, that's you know a good I mean? point. Yeah, that's a good we're, point. Yeah. We, we can go into their home and do a, a, a consultation with them over the internet. So in some ways, for the HSC, what it's really done is it has really made us really push ourselves and say, yes, we can do it other ways. 
But the face-to-face is crucial. Mm. People need to be in relationships. We need to connect with people. It's natural. And I it's think so the kindness of people it's, oh, has really come to the fore in the pandemic as well. And communities, I mean, particularly the cocooning during those early days, uh, yeah. people helping out other people, and you know, which is which is great. And long, long uh, may that continue. Okay, so just remind just listeners. One, what, just one before you go, yeah. just to say as well, I meant to, um, if people go into Clonakilty and just see all the fantastic positive statements that have been put up around the um, church railings. Okay. They go up every year. There's, they were done up by... Um, the Wheelchair Association, Cope Foundation, um, a few from the committee put them up, a few from last year. And there's just positive statements all over the town, just, you know, a couple of lines, just, again, to encourage people to think positive. So okay. just to remind that the committee members put that up as well. So OK, well done. Great. Yeah. Well done. And people, for the to get people to smile a while, just remind where they can get... Go on the Clonakilty Wellness Fund Facebook page okay. and you'll see it. Um, we're, we're pushing it all the time. We're, we're sharing it the whole time. It's just that the Zoom link is on it. And it's, it's twice in that day, it's 8 o'clock in the morning and 8 o'clock in the evening. And if we could break the world Guinness Book of Records, it'd be fantastic. As well, <laughs> as, well as smiling. And know? what is the Guinness Book of Records? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have a beaten already. Be it yeah. would be great. Listen, yeah. listen. Uh, thank you for having Well, us, it was yeah. a joy to speak with you and we all need yeah. to smile more and it's good to remind people to smile thank more. You. So thank you for that and all thanks right. for joining thank us. So bye-bye, bye-bye. That is uh, Adriana Adams, who is part of the Clonakilty Wellness uh, committee there. They're a terrific uh, bunch. Let's keep with the smiles because there's a birthday request that I saw in the midst of all of the texts uh, there. Uh, could you please say happy birthday to a special Nana and that's uh, Rita, my apologies Rita, Rita Lucy from Drumahan who is going to be 90 over the weekend. That's a special birthday. Uh, Rita, happy birthday to you. Stephanie Carney and all of the grandchildren wanting to wish you well and I'm sure I heard when with Ken Tobin on our breakfast show this morning that uh, Mary Colity used to be our Newmarket regional reporter is celebrating a special birthday as well today. So Mary, if you're tuned along, happy birthday to you as well. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And I can still see some texts coming in from people, particularly in their 60s, who have registered and have not heard anything about a vaccination appointment. For example, one listener says, I am living in Cork City. I'm 64 years old, registered on the day I was asked to do. That's two weeks now. have heard nothing. And then someone else says, I'm waiting on an appointment two weeks after registering. I still haven't heard anything uh, yet. OK, what, I, what we can gather and certainly what got highlighted yesterday, if you haven't heard anything after three weeks but you need to wait three full weeks then contact the HSC on the 1850 24 1850 because that seemed to have been the advice some of our listeners were getting yesterday but I can tell you already this morning since we've come on air at 10 o'clock we've had a number of calls and texts in from people to say that they registered just over two weeks, like two weeks and two days ago, two weeks and three days ago, and they're starting to get appointments. So just a little bit of patience because we know that there's a lot of vaccines to be rolled out across this weekend and certainly across next week. So I'm imagining a lot of people who have registered 
over two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, up to three weeks ago, you should be starting to get your appointments pretty soon. So hang in there. And when we were talking about the community pharmacists who are calling on the HSE and urging them to say, please, come on, we are fully trained. There's 1,200 community pharmacists dotted all over the country, ready to go, have all the trainings, have had their vaccinations and they are ready and they will be willing to set up vaccination centres in their own chemist. You get an appointment, you'd go along to your pharmacist, your pharmacy and your pharmacist would deliver the vaccine saying, why can't we do it? They reckon the Irish Farm Pharmacy Union reckon they could roll out at least 50,000 COVID-19 vaccines a week, which would play a major role in reaching our national vaccination at target. And they're scratching their heads, can't understand why. One of our listeners reckons they know why the pharmacists are not being used. They say that the community pharmacist will be charging per patient as the GPs are doing. They, this system wonders, is it the fact, is it a cost issue that the government can't afford it? Therefore, it's cheaper to send everyone to the vaccination centres because at the vaccination centres it's the HSE staff who have been redeployed. They're already on a weekly wage. They just get their same weekly wage. They're just working somewhere else. They're working in the uh, centre. And this listener is also critical of people who are giving out when I mentioned about in County Mayo. It was a pharmacist in Mayo who was talking about some of his patients having to do a 90 minute round trip to get the vaccine. What about us? says this listener, who has to do a 90-minute round trip daily just to get to work. These same people would gladly travel there and queue for an egg chair that was on sale earlier on this week and yet they'll complain about travelling for a free vaccine. It's rubbish. I think you're being a bit harsh there. I mean, we had a lady who has... It lives on disability allowance and she's got an issue with her leg where she's got plates and pins in her leg and she doesn't drive the most. She drives is about four kilometres from her house and she'll be having to go 20 miles, I think she was saying to us, was she'll have to go to come into the Mallow Centre and she just, you know, she just says that's really difficult for her. So there, I don't think people are complaining because they, they want everything on their doorstep, but there are genuine reasons why other people find a bit of a commute difficult. And not everybody has cars either. I mean, and I know I accept lots of people commute uh, to work, but there are people that don't have transport and therefore it can become an issue as well. So just... Um, and yes, there'll always be people who complain for the sake of complaining. For, but for the vast majority of people, I, I don't think they are complaining for the sake of it. And people are travelling and are not complaining and would walk over coal if they could get offered a vaccine in the morning uh, to get one. And then a listener says, thank you for your text. The listener says, Trish, any idea when the NEFET HSE briefings, when are they taking place uh, these days? They're still on every day. It's just the fact that we don't get to see them on the main evening news. I think people seem to think that they're not on. They're always available on the RT. E News uh, channel and just a heads up for people that do follow the Neffet HSE press briefings every day because this happened last Friday and it kind of threw everybody the press briefing was held earlier and I thought when I heard the figures come out earlier last Friday I said it's probably the bank holiday weekend and they want to wrap it up um, earlier for themselves and for the press that have to attend but it seems today's one again the Neffet HC press briefing I've just seen one of the journalists one of the journalists that covered the events tweeting about it is at 2 o'clock today so whether that's going to be the new form on a Friday that they'll run with that press briefing earlier but it is normally around tea time sometimes we get to see it on the news I suppose when they've got more breaking news uh, to tell us but because figures have been down and there isn't anything 
any major thing that they have to announce. I suppose for that reason, we don't get to see it. But but just because you're not seeing it on your main news bulletins, it doesn't mean they're not being held. They are. If you go to the RT News Channel, you'll certainly be able to see them every day. Now, can I go to some of your calls and comments that'll be coming into the program across the uh, morning? Starting with Dina. Remember, Dina joined us talking about what she. We started the program with Dina O'Donovan from Clam, talking about the nasty accident that happened to her out cycling a couple of weeks ago fine sunny day cycling in the road into Inchidani and a car with she said young people I think young fellas in it came very close to her I mean literally you know hair's breadth almost between her and the car and then somebody roared the window was rolled down and they started roaring obscenities gave her a bit of a fright and she ended up stumbling and ended up into a bed of nettles but we were just talking about there seems to be a little bit of a new craze happening that needs to be stopped because somebody will get really badly injured or worse God forbid somebody will get killed and these young people think it's all a bit of fun they don't see how serious it can be Pamela in Ballincollig says, uh, while I don't agree what happened to Dina and to that lady and Dina, those people shouting at her on her bike, I do fear that sometimes cyclists can cycle on roads that are simply not suitable. Pamela said, I live in Ballincollig and while there are cycle lanes in Ballincollig itself, I still see cyclists cycling on the motorway, the Ballincollig bypass. The speed limit on that bypass is 120 kilometres. You have slip roads on and off and I feel it is simply too dangerous for cyclists and it's therefore unfair on trucks and other motorists who drive on the road who come across cyclists. Cyclists are banned on many motorways across the country but they still cycle on the Ballincollig bypass and Pamela Ballincollig feels that bypass is not suitable for people cycling on it. Jim in Clonakilty says I do cycle myself but our roadways were never designed for cyclists and motorists at the same time. While the city is certainly making headways and you can see changes on main roads into towns with cycle lanes however some of our local rural roads should be accommodating both cyclists and motorists but unfortunately they're too narrow at the moment so roads like what Dina spoke about going into Inchidani and other minor roads people need to remember that they have to share the road so they need to give way to each uh, other some of the roads around uh, Clonakilty are just far too dangerous and I'm sure said Jim that cyclists would agree with him and Kay in Roscarbury says if Dina had hit her head when she came off the bike she could have been killed I think those drivers that do things like this should be banned from driving. If anything happened to her, what would have happened and who would have been held accountable? It is appalling. Well, I'm assuming that the person who was shouting the obscenities was a young lad who was sitting either in the passenger seat in the front seat or in the back seat. It wasn't the person driving the car, obviously, because they came so close beside her. So, yeah, but it's a good question. Who would be held responsible if you did manage to track down the owner of the car? Is it the person driving the car or is it the person who was shouting the obscenities out the window? 1850 and still seeing more people coming, saying registered two weeks ago and just after getting a text and getting my vaccination this weekend. Thank you for that. Uh, best of luck with it, Patricia. Will we all have to get a vaccine every year, a booster shot? It is looking like that. It certainly is looking like that at the, for the next number of years. It, but it will become a little bit like the flu 
jab, there won't be the same amount of COVID-19. Eventually, there won't be the same amount of COVID-19. So it'll be people in the at-risk groups like the flu. The flu is, even though it wasn't there last year because we were all washing our hands and wearing masks and social distancing, but it'll be the same as the flu in that it will be the more vulnerable who will get it would be most at risk. So there will be, people will be offered, but how many years away we are from that, God only knows because we've got a worldwide issue. We need to vaccinate everyone around the world and get rid of as best we can get rid of COVID-19 at the moment but will it always be with us yeah it's a virus so yes I I think some form of it always will be so we will be getting booster shots yeah absolutely uh, for sure Hi uh, Patricia I would appreciate if you gave out the name of the person who does your weekly well-being and mental health slots on the programme Joe Heflin I'm assuming that you're talking about yeah Joe uh, looking for his number Uh, he operates now from a mobile number it's 086 834 81 Four five. That's oh eight six eight three four eight one four five. And if you, I'm always conscious when I'm giving out phone numbers that people don't have pen and paper. If you buzz John Paul, uh, he certainly will be able to pass it on to you at our own number eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Still getting in texts about what happened in Longford and the Traveller wedding. Uh, and the fact that I mentioned at the top of the programme, because we were talking about it yesterday, but I mentioned that the person who erected the marquee is coming out defending why he did it. And he explained that he got paid for the job last October and he thought by taking the money last October, that should by May, everything will be fine. He, he couldn't have predicted that we'd still be in the middle of a lockdown. And he said he tried to persuade the couple getting married to to postpone or to move to a different venue, but they wouldn't agree to it. He had been approached by the Gardaí. He had been approached by Longford uh, County Council to remove the marquee. He put it up on Monday. He was contacted by the Gardaí on Tuesday evening and by the council. And he said he would take it down if the family agreed, but he said the family wouldn't change their minds they wouldn't agree to it and he said if he had gone in then and taken down the marquee he would have ended up owing them a four figure sum and he said I simply don't have the money and that's his defence and that's what no doubt he will be telling uh, the judge in court but he does he's more than sorry and uh, he said he now accepts it was one of his more foolish moves well Tim in y'all said it is a joke expecting that the marquee owner should have dismantled the marquee against the members of the travelling community against their wishes some chance have been allowed to do that if the police force of Ireland couldn't see it through now they're setting up a special court in order to have what I feel is a scapegoat regarding this issue Issue, such a pity that this wasn't done to deal with Judge Seamus Wolfe when he breached Covid regulations along with the 80 Odd others attending a party, says Tim and y'all, reminding us all about Golfgate. Remember that? Remember Golfgate? And I was even trying to think when did when did Golfgate happen? That was back in August of last year. Remember the Oroctus uh, Golf Society, and there was a huge hoo ha about that particular event in County Galway. So Jim, Tim and y'all are saying, why were none of them before the courts? Well, we'll watch with interest to see what happens before the courts uh, next Monday. And I don't know whether this marquee owner is going to be used as a scapegoat. Whether you're right or not Tim we'll have to wait and see but the caterers are also being brought in as well as along with the couple that have got married they're, they're bringing in the bride and the groom and the bride's parents and the groom's parents so we will wait with interest to see what happens there 1850 couple of people then responding to uh, my lovely chat that I had with Anne Hurley 
talking about the fact that tomorrow is World Ovarian Cancer Day and she's such a fantastic woman. I cannot believe that we've been talking to her since 2014 when she was first diagnosed and the reason that she went public on it was she had a bucket list. She genuinely believed she had very little time left to live and seven years on she's still, now she's fighting She's but she is a fighter and it's just her positivity is uh, wonderful and she does everything that she can to draw attention to ovarian cancer in the hope that she will help other women. As she said, she doesn't want anyone else's mother, daughter, sister, aunt, niece to go through what her family have been forced to go through because of ovarian cancer. And it is known as one of the, as one of the secret uh, cancers because it gets so confused. The symptoms get so confused with what can be kind of minor illnesses and people don't straight away and doctors don't straight away think that this could be a a varying cancer and that's why it's knowing the symptoms and that's why any opportunity she gets to share her story in the hope that someone just might be listening to say that rings a bell with me that's what's happening to me or I've had those symptoms or a family member's had those symptoms might just push that person to go and get the help that they need and get the early diagnosis because we know with all cancers the early the diagnosis the better anyway a couple of people reacting to my chat with Anne including another Anne to say Patricia listening to Anne Hurley about her cancer experience such a wonderful lady I wish her well I had a very bad family history of cancer. My dad, uh, and nine of his brothers and sisters and his father before him all died of cancer. I also lost a sister and a brother to cancer and now I have another brother with stage four cancer. I've had first, I have first cousins who've also had uh, cancer. It definitely has to be some kind of a gene in my family, kind regards, says Anna. Yeah, and that's what Anne Hurley was pointing out in their family. They've discovered that there is this BRCA uh, gene. And Denise uh, says, on ovarian cancer, my mum sadly passed away from ovarian cancer at the age of 83 in 2017. She survived for 12 years from the diagnosis. She couldn't tolerate the Avastin that Anne spoke about, one of the drug treatments that's used. My sister and I were not offered genetic counselling, so I opted at the age of 60 to have my fallopian tubes and ovaries surgically removed. I know that may sound extreme, but I wanted to live to see my grandchildren grow up and the relief that I got from that operation is huge. My best wishes go to all of those who are living with ovarian cancer. That's from Denise in West Cork. Thank you for that, uh, Denise. And stay well and healthy yourself as we remember all those who've passed away from ovarian cancer. And as Anne has asked us all to do tomorrow, to light a candle tomorrow night as we head into the darkness. Because in the morning time, it's the darkness into light. We'll be welcoming the sunrise for those who are battling with uh, mental health issues and those whose lives have been lost through mental health issues. We'll be remembering those in the morning and then tomorrow night as it gets dark, let us remember all of those with ovarian cancer. Thank you for your text, Denise, to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. And seeing as I've mentioned darkness in 
delight is another opportunity to mention it in Bandon. Uh, Bandon Car Park will be taking uh, place, a Doctors in Delight event taking place there. The admission is €20 Euro per car and you can follow them on socials for route information so you can do a drive-by for Doctors in Tonight. That's a lovely event. Uh, good luck to everybody involved there in Bandon. And Boerbury National School, they're holding a fundraising raffle, offering people the chance to win a dream house in Killarney. There are also three, 35,000 euro in monthly prizes. First draw for 10,000 takes place on Friday the 25th of June and then there'll be a monthly prize thereafter of 5,000 from Jul- July through to November. Then the grand prize for the house in Killarney will take place on New Year's Eve, 31st of December 2021. Tickets are 100 euro. They can be purchased online at winyourdreamhousekillarney.com or by contacting Boherbui National School on 029-76141. And Bera West Family Resource Centre are hosting a seven-week online smoking cessation programme. If you'd like more information, contact Trudy 86 7806093. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now, we are starting a new feature on the programme which will run every Friday for the next few weeks called Cork versus. COVID. Every week we'll look at how Cork is overcoming the challenges posed by the pandemic. The first of the series with our senior news reporter Fiona Corkham looks at festivals and how organisers are hosting the festivals we all love online with COVID guidelines. 
Last year saw the cancellation of many of the much-loved festivals in Cork, but this year they're back, just in different formats. A number of musical performances were hosted online last weekend for the Ballydehaum Jazz Festival, and while they were recorded behind closed doors, Joe O'Leary says it was great to have performers in the town. It's been magic, even if there's only the sound engineer, the lighting engineer and the camera person there, masked up to date. But it's amazing for the musician because they're not getting to play to anyone really lately, like, you know, and 12 months of this now. Likewise, the Cork International Choral Festival went virtual last weekend. It has been nice to at least be able to meet people at St Vimbar's Cathedral for, for their recording sessions. And those performing artists have been very grateful for the opportunity to, to actually come and do something as well. Artistic director Peter Stobart says they can't wait for the return of live audiences. From a performing point of view... Any kind of audience is better than an online audience, if, if we're being honest with ourselves, and, and, and it's much better to have that personal interaction. So much of the festival atmosphere is, is created, obviously, by people coming in and, and that multicultural feel that we always have. The Fastnet Film Festival brings thousands of visitors from around the world to West Cork every year. We estimate it brings in just under two million spend in the area, which is huge and so crucial to the survival of this area or this part of the country. Mm. So it's been sorely missed, certainly last year and this year. While we still have a festival and we still have the expense of running a festival, we don't have the payback in terms of people being on the ground. 350 short films will be shown online at the end of this month. Festival director Hilary McCarthy says they probably could have had live audiences if they pushed the date out. But we decided that we would keep our dates because people are used to us always having it at the end of May. We chose the end of May because it's the shoulder season for the summer. So it sort of kickstarts the tourist season here in Skull and West Cork. The Cork Harbour Festival will return in June, but with smaller events, as manager Joya Kuhn explains. We might have a small seaweed gathering walk down uh, East Cork side. Um, there might be a small group of people doing a kayak or sup river cleanup. Um, you know, those kind of small things can go ahead. They're participatory. They won't attract a crowd. They've also come up with ways that people from around the world can participate. People will row or paddle five miles wherever they are in the whole wide world and then submit their time to us and join an online celebration. We've got over 600 people signed up from across the world, places as far as Australia, New Zealand and um, the US. Similarly, the Cork Midsummer Festival is going ahead in June with some shows performed in front of small audiences. Director Lorraine May says it's been a major challenge. It's a totally different way to plan a festival because you're doing everything from your kitchen table um, with, you know, just on Zoom and that's very unusual. You would normally be meeting artists, we'd normally be out and about. You know, that that has definitely been challenging and, you know, trying to communicate as a team and, you know, just keeping that information flow, I think, is one of the more, more challenging bits. And obviously with all the keeping everyone safe um, the COVID compliance you know all the all the guidelines we need to do a lot around that as well she hopes to bring some of these new ideas to future festivals artists have been really brilliant at recreating we'll say theatre for example just giving that essence of theatre online and having that sort of theatrical experience so I think it's also uh, meant that things have been more accessible to people as well and audiences that wouldn't normally be able to come to the festival or go to events. So I think some element of that will stay. I think this idea of a hybrid performance where you have some live and some online element, I think that will stay. And I also love this idea of 
bringing events directly into communities um, and having that happen as opposed to, you know, yes, you have your cultural spaces that everyone gathers around, but also you have these experiences that come to you as well. So I think we'll hold on to some of that. OK, that's a really positive. Thank you for that. That's Fiona Corkin, our senior news reporter on a brand new series, Cork versus a COVID. We'll have more next uh, Friday. Hi, Patricia. I'm wondering when carers will be getting their vaccine. I'm a sole carer for my 82-year-old bed-bound bed-bound man. If I get COVID, he'll have absolutely no one to take care of him. He depends on me for everything. Um, they're doing it by age, unfortunately. There was a big push to get carers uh, vaccinated. Is is that a family member that you're living with? Is it your, or I wonder, is it your mam? Maybe, sorry, maybe the predictive text is, okay, it's your mother, I'm assuming. Okay, um, yeah, no, it's whatever age you are, you'll have to register. If you're in your 50s, you will register. The portal is open for people in their 50s to 59-year-olds and they are being called, we're told, over the next two to three weeks, even though we're already hearing from some people in their 50s, they're already after getting a call to get a vaccine uh, next week. So it's, it's age-based, unfortunately. They've taken carers are regardless number teachers did a big push they wanted to be vaccinated the Gardaí did a big push they wanted to be vaccinated but all the medical evidence is there that it's better to do it by age rather than profession so whatever age you are when it is your turn you will be called but you may need to register if you are in your 50s and John in Balancolic wants to pick up on Pamela Balancolic who was giving out about cyclists being on the Balancolic bypass John wants to point out that the Balancolic Bypass is not a motorway. So it isn't, if it's not a motorway, then 120 kilometres. God, Pamela, I hope you're not driving at 120 kilometres on it. You're over the speed limit. There are green signs on that road. So it is a road that cyclists are allowed to uh, cycle on. And we were speaking about vulture funds and how difficult it is, particularly for first-time buyers to get onto the housing ladders with the fact that they now... Read in the papers today that Cuckoo Funds are spending 53 million a week on average buying up housing estates. Now it's happening mostly in the Dublin area but they're increasingly starting to push into the commuter belt and they're increasingly starting to buy up in other parts of the country as well. And of course when these cuckoo funds uh, move in, they buy up all of the properties. They can buy entire housing estates and then what do they do? They go on then to rent out the properties. I was looking at one where, where this cuckoo fund went in and they bought up an entire housing estate and then they ended up renting out the houses to people, the first time buyers who can't afford to buy a house and the rents can be staggering like there was one particular development it was just under €2,000 a month was what they were looking for for people to rent and it's just such a catch-22 situation you have a young couple trying to buy a house they can't buy a house because the cuckoo fund went in and bought every house in the estate and yet then when they need to rent a house that same fund will say oh well, I'll rent you the house but it'll be €2,000 a month which is way more expensive than what the mortgage would have cost them and it is so unfair Dan says regarding the Vulture Fund's purchase of housing estates thereby depriving people of the chance to buy their own homes at a reasonable price would it not be a good idea idea to boycott their long-term leases. They wouldn't be long staying uh, then uh, here. Yeah, in the ideal world it would be great but if you've got a young couple who've got nowhere to live, they can't afford to buy a property because there's nothing available for them to buy because the cuckoo funds have bought up all of the houses or else they're getting outbid every
everywhere they go. They need to live somewhere, so they have to rent. So they're they're really caught. But yes, it would be great. I know the finance minister, Pascal Donoghue, is reviewing taxes for the cuckoo funds that are buying out entire housing estates. Uh, and the government, they are looking at considering a total ban. But then you've got a problem there. If they ban them completely, we will always need rental properties in this country. What do you do if you take all the rental properties away? Now, Pascal Donoghue, our finance minister, has met with the housing minister, Dara O'Brien. They met on Tuesday in a bid to try to find a resolution. And the Department of the Housing officials, they're looking at reviving uh, Mr O'Brien's own bill from his time in opposition which proposed that local authorities earmark 30% of zoned land and make sure that it goes to first-time buyers. Isn't there an irony there that a bill that was defeated when he was in opposition and now that he's the housing minister they're starting to look at the bill from, from his time in opposition. Anyway, the government will also consider if cuckoo funds should be banned outright from densely populated city centres because the big problem at the moment is in Dublin City as the government faces increasing criticism a spokesperson for the Finance Minister Pascal who said the two departments are working together and they're hoping to address the uh, issue so let's hope that they address that is- issue very quickly particularly as I say for those young couples desperate to try to get on to the property market for the first time Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103 And let's get some movie suggestions from Mark Malone our movie reviewer Good afternoon to you Mark Hi Patricia And I watched your suggestion for last week Sound of Metal mm-hmm. Really good Really good I really enjoyed it I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah, it was very good, wasn't it? It was a great movie, and then it was, and the timing of it was all quite quite good because um, obviously we were talking about the deaf community on the program yesterday with Andrew Geary talking about his son, and I also saw Ryan Tuberty on the Late Late talking about the deaf community. So it was all it was really good, really really good. I would highly recommend it to anyone. Okay, now this week you've taken a look at Wild Mountain Time and Nomad Land. Now Wild Mountain Time, if my memories, this is the one where James. Jamie Doran has the dodgy Irish accent, is it? Uh, it's not just uh, Jamie Doran who has a dodgy Irish accent. <laughs> uh, yeah, you probably saw the trailer, did you? I are, did, are you yeah. Play a bit of the trailer there, I did, right? I am indeed. Here uh, we go. Oh, you did? No, I'm going to play it okay. now. Here we go. These green fields, they hold me here. Oh, what is this, All her life, Rosemary has been in love with Anthony. It's not normal. I don't care. And Anthony never noticed. You are famous for what goes by you. Now, wait for that one. All that is about to change. You kissed him. He kissed me. From the writer of Moonstruck. You'd let me go, wouldn't you? I don't know about you, but I'm tired of living in the rain. Wild Mountain Time. Oh dear God and little fishes and you know what really uh, looking down through the cast a lot of these casts are Irish Well the Irish actors are fine I mean they do ham it up a little bit do you know what I mean but it's the main actors is the problem and do you know I, I was, I'm trying to think about it I mean I was thinking that maybe it's not their fault because I saw an interview with John Michael Chandy, who uh, who wrote and directed this piece of nonsense, and uh, he basically said, "Look, you know, we had to kind of decide on an accent that would be acceptable the world over, and they decided to come up with this accent. And of course, it's not an accent really that 
that you would use. It's an accent that uh, they use in Hollywood. It's what's called a Hollywood Irish accent. And I remember a few years ago, I saw one of these uh, voice coaches, these voice dialect uh, American guys teaching a class how to do an Irish accent. He wasn't doing an Irish accent. He was doing a Hollywood Irish accent. And of course, when I was watching it, I'm thinking, it's you. You're responsible for <laughs> Mickey, uh, you know, uh, people like uh, Brad Pitt and, 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 and Tom Cruise. You're, you're responsible for these accents. So that's why. And I think, uh, you know, it's a little bit maybe unfair on the actors. And the other problem is, is that because they know, I mean, there are times when you're looking at uh, poor old Emily Blunt, who's a fine actor, and you can see in her face that she knows what she's saying is rubbish. She knows how she's saying it is rubbish. And you can see that, you know, because of that, then it suffers. And uh, the, the, the performances suffer. At one I watched this with my wife and she said, God, you know, um, it's not very good, is it? And then she said, it's like, it's like a kind of an amateur drama society, you know what I mean? It's very amateur. And I think that's why, because the actors are doing their best with the material that they have. Um, the weird thing is that we sat down and watched it the very first 20 minutes were really entertaining. Sure, you know, after a while, I kind of got used to the accents, and it was all a bit silly. And but there's a lot of really funny one-liners. The two main Irish actors are Dervla Malloy and Barry McGovern. They are very, very funny. And so within that first twenty minutes, we were laughing and smiling. And I said, and I turned to her and I said, "This is actually pretty good." After that, it was like the director went, uh, right, that's it. That's enough of that. Let's now have the paddy wackery. Let's have the barony. Let's have the nonsense. And from dead on, unfortunately, you get it right smack in your face. And the okay, whole time do, you, you do you think that it's the American market expect everybody to sound and act like that? I mean, is, is that what it's aimed well, at? I- well, obviously, it is directed at the American uh, audience. I mean, it has to be. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Now, the thing is that uh, John Michael Shandy, who brought us Moonstruck all those years ago, a wonderful film with Sure and Olympia Dukakis, who sadly passed away recently. I did wonder, you know, do, um, do, do Italians look at that and go, look, you know, this is all very stereotypical. Are we overly sensitive? I don't think we are, because this kind of nonsense shouldn't exist. It really shouldn't. Now, he comes from an Irish background, the director, that is. He had Irish parents, and so he said, look, I basically wrote down what I heard all around me. But basically what he's writing is a kind of a really dumb, melancholy, kind of stereotypical, kind of an Irish kind of story. And like when you're watching it, you're thinking, what year was this? What year? When is this based? Because she's dressed like, you know, um, like Moira Hara from, you know, The Quiet Man. He, you know, he looks like Alvin Stardust from 1975 with the, you know, the sideboards and the and the grease back hair. And at, the, at one stage, John Hamm arrives with a, um, a Rolls Royce and uh, Christopher Walken and Jamie Dornan uh, playing father and son here walk up to the car and they go, oh, yes, that's a lovely car you have there. And he says, oh, that's a Rolls Royce. And uh, Christopher Walken says, oh, what? Oh, a Rolls Royce, is it? Oh, that really rolls off the tongue. It's a beautiful car. And you're thinking, you've never seen or heard of a Rolls Royce. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just, you're thinking, and there's, at one stage also, John Hamm turns to Emily Blunt and says, you know, how many acres do you have? She said, oh, I don't know. No idea. No idea. And he then asks Jamie Dornan the exact same question. And he goes, I have no idea. Uh, Sure, who cares about that kind of stuff? Every, every Irish farmer knows how much acreage they have. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's, it's. It's a complete nonsense, and it gets worse as it goes on. It is based on a, on a play that was written by Shanley called, um, what was it called? Outside Mullingar. And so the very kind of last quarter is just basically the two of them just sitting in a, in a, in a kitchen, just, you know, um, just fighting, just arguing. And that, I think, when it, that showed up, and that looked then like a play. 
uh, rather than a kind of a, a big Hollywood uh, movie. And the other thing, they decided to film it in October in County Mayo in 2019. And so therefore the sky is... There's only one time... And at that moment, they decide to use a rain machine. It just makes absolutely no sense at all. It's mucky and it's dirty and it looks awful. And you really kind of wonder what exactly... I, you know what I think it is? It's obviously an island that you know, Irish Americans talk about and and have the kind of Ireland that has gone down in kind of their their memories from that they heard from the from from, uh, you know, from uh, grandfathers and grandmothers in the past. So it's a kind of a melancholy kind of Ireland that doesn't really exist. And that's what they want. They want the green fields of Ireland. They want the farmer, you know, with the pig under his arm. That's what they want. But uh, unfortunately, the reality is very, very different. Yeah, and I was going um, to say, like, as Andrew... would say, go on. As Anna Partridge would say, there's more to Ireland than this. I was go- I was going to say like Angela's ashes is also to have loads of rain in in it. So and even and the cover of it or the poster that they use, it's raining. Okay, so Mark Wild Mountain Time out of ten, Mark, please. Uh, I asked my wife and she said she'd give it eight, and I went eight, oh, and she said, yeah, it wasn't terrible. <laughs> you know, and I said, yes, it was. Uh, so I thought about it and I thought, do you know who's actually pretty good? Christopher Walken's Irish accent is okay. okay. And there's a lovely scene in it where he's kind of, he's, he's in a bed kind of uh, talking about his life and his past mistakes. And he's terrific in that scene. So I'll give him a point for Walken. And the Irish, main Irish actors, Derby Malloy and Barry McGovern are great. I'll give them a point each. So I'll give it three. Three out of ten. Okay. Now your second movie is uh, No Man's Land. This is a drama. Uh, this was the, the big winner of the Oscars. Uh, this won Best Director, Best Film and Best Actress for Frances McDormand. Uh, this isn't going to be for everybody. I mean, it's not going to be for everybody's taste. I mean, if your favourite film is, uh, I don't know, John Wick 3, uh, this isn't exactly going to be your thing, you know what I mean? Because it's actually quite slow moving. But it's actually a very, very beautiful film and is funny. And people may not think it's just hour and a half of misery. Form. Frances McDormand, uh, her husband has passed away. She's been widowed and she's lost her job. So she decides, look, she has, she's now homeless. She decides to buy a van and she decides to live in the van and tour America. And while she does that, she, she, she teams up with a group uh, called the Nomads who actually do exist. And these are basically people who have kind of shunned uh, modern life. They want nothing to do with kind of, you know, the American dream. They want nothing to do with kind of modern technology. They want nothing to do with corporate America. They just live out of their RVs or their caravans uh, or, or their vans. And it's not an easy living, but they are quite extraordinary people. And most of those people play themselves or versions of themselves in this film. Uh, there's a character called Swanky, for example, who was a very, very famous nomad. And she becomes friends with Frances McDormand. And when she speaks, and when I first saw her, I didn't realise she wasn't an actress, that she was actually herself. And she was talking about her life and she was talking. And most of these people who are running away from something, usually whether it be kind of, uh, it's, a lot of it is in relation to some kind of uh, catastrophic uh, catastrophic kind of uh, thing that happened in their life. They're running away from sadness. They're, really, they're running away from heartbreak. And when she talks about her life, it's captivating. And it's wonderful to see her, you know, just talk. And in fact, the same goes for all the others. And some of them are very, very young. And when they speak to the camera, they're talking about themselves and about their lives. Wow. And I, I, actually, I actually kind of thought, you know, what would have been great if, I don't know, Louis Theroux kind of met these people and did a, a, you know, a documentary about them. And they speak with this kind of gentleness and they speak with this kind of knowledge of life and they speak so, and they're so articulate and it's wonderful. And Frances McDormand kind of lived in her van with a lot of these people. A lot of them didn't know who she was. They thought she too was a nomad. And... 
there's a there's a you know the, the director talked about the goodness of people in the world and the people here that she meets these nomads are all very supportive they're all very very good people and they're all supportive of each other for example uh, there's a lovely scene that one swanky gives her a chair for example it's just an ordinary garden chair and it's almost like a kind of a symbol of her life because what's the most important thing to her right at that moment you know it's not trying to get to the bank to pay a bill it's not you know get going through traffic to get to work at that moment the most important thing is that she has a nice chair and it's a it's a lovely moment and there are loads of moments like that throughout the film uh, there's a lot of Frances McDormand admittedly you know uh, looking uh, very pensively and uh, you know across vistas of the you know american kind of uh desert and they th those are beautiful i mean the, the cinematography is lovely and um, so i loved it i thought it was absolutely fabulous i'm not surprised it won all the awards so because it's an award of, type des movie deserving of the oxers okay mark it out of 10 then no man's land uh i'll give it eight eight out of ten okay all right listen we leave it there thanks for that mark have a lovely week and uh we'll okay. chat again next week that's mark malone our movie reviewer that's where i leave you for today and indeed for this week my thanks to john paul mcnamara for producing nick richards with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you t on monday morning at 10 to i'm patricia messner good afternoon stay safe court today on c103 with sean cusack insurances can sale now part of mccarthy insurance group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.